0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Deep Dive Bible Study here on Tim Hatch Live, youtube.com slash timhatchlive. Make sure that you're hitting that button right there, the subscribe button, the notification bell that you, so that you can get notified on your smart device every time we go live, and hit that like button. We are in the Kings of Compromise, part 27, and I am so excited to come to you with this content from 2 Kings chapters 11 and 12. This is an amazing portion of scripture, and here's why. Because it's so incredible, the story is incredible. It is so clearly a picture of the cosmic order of the uh, calendar of events on God's cosmic calendar, and it teaches us about what to do in the midst of dark and um, evil times. It's beyond me that more preachers haven't preached these two passages in particular. I'm talking about Second Kings chapter eleven and twelve. Now, full disclosure: this is pre-recorded. Okay, we didn't do the deep dive last week, we're doing it this week. I'm on vacation, not telling you where that would actually nullify the idea of it being vacation, (laughs) but I'm hopefully enjoying myself and I'm hoping that you enjoy this content. So let's dig into it, the Kings of Compromise. What are we talking about tonight on the deep dive in 2 Kings 11 and 12? We're talking about faithful... Witness in evil times. How do we be faithful in our witness to Christ or for Christ to unbelievers in evil times? Uh, What we're experiencing right now, dear Christian, is nothing new. Where it looks like the world is going to hell in a handbasket, where it looks like the powers of evil are triumphing over good, where it looks like people are so confused, there's no bringing it back, and we're on the brink of destruction or self implosion or what have you. Right. And I think that there is a general consensus, a general sense of that in the population. I think the statistics are astronomically high on in terms of how people feel about the future. Um, you hear reports of UFOs and <laughs> aliens now, and you hear reports of, you know, what you see. And we talked about this in the deep dive la, deep end last week, WEF and one world government, one world control, top down control. Uh, apocalyptic films uh, have been surging at the box office for the last few years and decades, especially. So evil times are upon us. This is nothing new. And we need to know what we do as the people of God because, and this is the theme of the whole talk, all right? You can actually put this on fast play after I say this because this is the theme of the whole talk. Sometimes it's not the big moments of deliverance through which god rescues his people sometimes it's the private unseen commitments and simple service of his people that god uses to deliver his people did did you hear that what i mean is we're awfully attracted to the david and goliath moments we're awfully attracted to the empty grave of course we should be as the center of our faith as the foundation of our faith we're awfully committed to paul and silas getting uh, broken out of prison through an earthquake from heaven. We love those stories. We love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going through the fire with the Lord's presence right there with him. Those are great stories, but they are few and far between. Even the scripture, 1,500 years of human history recorded in scripture, and it doesn't happen that often. These marvelous, you know, triumphant rescues. Most of the time, God works through simple means of, private faith, very personal commitment to serving God in the unseen places to bring about great moments of deliverance. Okay. Before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through the fiery furnace, what happens first in Daniel chapter one, they just decide not to eat the king's food and wine for 10 days. And then they have that diet for, I don't know how many months or years before you've got the fiery furnace moment. They were privately committed before they were publicly vindicated. And I think in Christianity, we've got to understand that. We look for miracles. Miracles are a selling point for a lot of shyster preachers on YouTube and TV. Miracles are a buzzword in the church, and they do happen. I am not and will not deny the uh, uh, experience of miracles, the reality of miracles, even still to this day. Uh, Our faith is a miracle. Believing in Christ is a miracle. But we have to realize something. God does not typically do things with a big boom. He does those things, but they're not typical. They're unusual. That's what makes them miracles. Usually he's working through the private and committed lives of his people to prepare a season of deliverance, a season of grace for the world that brings it back from the brink of of destruction. That's what we have here in Second Kings 11 and 12. So if your life feels like it's on the brink of con- destruction, if you feel like you need a miracle, if you wonder why the enemy is still winning, if you look at your country and you say, why is evil still winning? What is going on? Why doesn't God care? I want to give you some content today from Second Kings chapter 11 and 12 on how to have faithful witness again in evil times and how you can triumph in spite of what the devil is doing. So let's go through the text. All right, sticking, uh, starting right from the top of 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshabah, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now, I am sure that right now you are like, who? Who? What? Who's that? Who's this? Because Who's <laughs> this can get very confusing. And these names are not like John and Susan. These are, these are strange ancient Hebrew uh, Semitic names. So I understand your confusion. So to that end, let's talk about a couple of things from last deep dive. Number one, remember that Jehu was raised up, anointed by Elisha to wipe out the uh, house of Ahab and Jezebel. And he is the end of Ahab and Jezebel. Both of them die under his uh, reforms. He, I called him the ter- Terminator. He was the Terminator. And then he also wiped out um, Jehoram, he killed Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, who was married to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. That might not even make it clear enough for you yet. So, let me put on the screen the family tree because this is going to really clarify things. Let me show you how all of these people come together. So, you have on the left Israel or the northern kingdom. This is the bad kingdom, this is the kingdom that never has a good king. Okay, so they have on the throne. They basically from the house of Omri, they, they reach peak evil under the leadership of Ahab. He marries a wicked Sidonian princess named Jezebel. She's the daughter of a Sidonian priest. They have a daughter named Athaliah. There is a joint marriage. There is a marriage, a political alliance between their daughter and the son of Jehoshaphat, who is the king of the southern kingdom in Judah. Jehoshaphat has a son named Jehoram. And uh, Jehoram has two wives. This is very common in the ancient world. He has another other wife. We don't know her name, but he has a wife through political alliance named Athaliah. Athaliah and Jehoram give birth to Ahaziah. Ahaziah is his son who reigns. His wife's name is Zibiah. And they have a son, Ahaziah and Zibiah have a son. And they have several other sons. But one son remains because the grandma, once she sees Jehu wiping out Jezebel, Ahab, uh, he wipes out Ahaziah, I'm sure he wiped out the wife, and, and several other sons and daughters. Like, I'll just put all these X's here, because that's what happens with Jehu. So once that happens, the, the, the grandmother now of Joash, okay, she is coming for him. She wants to wipe out, and this is how wicked this woman is. She wants the throne for herself, and she wants to wipe out all the royal family. This is a... This is a vile human being. That's what happens when you have vile human beings giving birth to, to people. So there is a hero in the story. Okay, The hero of the story is this amazing woman named Jehoshabah. And Jehosheba, and I'm going to advance here. So Jehoshaphat here is the one who is, we know from 2 Chronicles 22.11, she is the, pre, the high priest Jehoiada's wife, and Jehoiada is a very godly man. We're going to hear more about him in just, a, in just a moment. She hides Joash away for six years, while Athaliah becomes like the Bible's version of Bloody Mary. She is wiping out everybody for six years. She is dominating and ruling and reigning. And so what she does, Jeho- Jehoshaphat, I just want to make sure that you're aware of this, does not get much play in, uh, like I said, in Bible preaching and scripture teaching, uh, does not get much play in the Christian worldview. Uh, a, lot, a lot of preachers don't talk about her. She is a very quiet hero in the scriptures. And all she does is she hides and preserves one son that is descendant from Jehoshaphat. Don't forget this. Jehoshaphat, a righteous king. We, we called him the dingbat. He was gullible, but he was righteous. Jehoram, because of his alliance and marriage to Athaliah, evil king of the southern kingdom, the righteous kingdom. So Jehoram has a son named Ahaziah, Jehu puts Ahaziah to death. The kingdom falls to one of his sons, and that is Joash. But Joash is in the target of Ahaz- Athaliah, and if it isn't for, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat and her brave decision to do something very, very simple, hide the child from the one who wants to kill him, if it wasn't for her choice to do that, her action, the, the line of David, would have been wiped out. Now, does this sound familiar that a woman of faith would pr- hide and protect a man chosen of God to bring about spiritual reforms into the life of his people and to the world at large? Should sound familiar because it is the story of Moses' mother and it is the story of Jesus' mother and you could say even John the Baptist. Not, not so much because Elizabeth doesn't really have to run and hide, but, jo- but Mary and Joseph do. And Moses' mother does. So you, on a regular basis, have these repeated themes in Scripture. And here we have it even very subtly hidden into these passages. Not really hidden, but just not talked about a lot in 2 Kings chapter 11-12 and 12, of a wonderful, godly woman who saves the day because she hides the righteous child. And... The picture of a righteous woman is so important because, and we're going to get to this later, the church is the bride of Christ. We are the female in the relationship. I understand, you know, it's not biological or physical female. It's just the spiritual female. And we have a responsibility to uh, make sure that we maintain and hide Christ in our hearts, okay, not hide him to people, but hide him in our hearts to prepare him to be revealed when the time is right to those that the Lord leads us to, to be witnesses of who he is this is all going to come together in a beautiful way i'm going to teach you about how to be a faithful witness in evil times but let me just bring you back to verse three one more time they hid him from athaliah so that he was not put to death and he remained with her for six years now this is an important number six is the number of man revelation 13 tells us that he was hidden in the house of the lord so he literally grows up in the temple while athaliah the queen mother reigned over the land now, she was so evil. The scripture says, the parallel account in Second Chronicles 24, 7 says, For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also used all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. So Athaliah is a really wicked queen, just like her mother, Queen Jezebel. She is committed to introducing pagan worship to the house of the lord she is substituting the worship of yahweh with the worship of Baals. isn't isn't that insane and she's using the things in the house of the lord through her sons through her wicked sons to bring Baal worship into jerusalem the the place the land the the, the house that god said would put he would put his um he would his name on so this is all coming together to show you how wicked the times were In which Athaliah reigned. Let's continue on in the scripture because we've got a lot of scripture to go through, and I'm going to go faster from this point forward. I just wanted to build the foundation for where we're going. Verse 4 But in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains. Now, who's Jehoiada? The husband of Jehoshaphat. So he is the high priest. He is the priest who is really like the protector, if you will that watches over Joash as he grows up in the temple. And it says this, In the seventh year, Jeho- Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites of, and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. king's son, And he commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do. One third of you shall come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house. Another third being at the gate, Sur. And a third at the gate behind the guards shall guard the palace. So understand that Jehoiada and Jehosh- 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 Jehoshabah They hide this child for seven years, six years. Nobody knows he even exists. Everybody's assuming that the royal line of David is gone. It is done. And remember, this is the last remaining descendant of David. This is important because God made a promise. He made a promise that, that David's line would stay forever. If Joash dies, if Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada do not step up and do this, the promises of God concerning David's house are null and void. Like you could basically just shelve the Bible as just a, another historical fiction, not really written by God, if it wasn't for the actions of these two people. It's just amazing to me. Then he reveals this guy, the this, the, the son, to the guards, to the temple priests, and he says, here's our plan of action we're going to do this thing we're going to put this kid on the throne and we're going to take care of Athaliah once and for all six years so for six years there's a reign of terror and there's a king who is about to be revealed doesn't that sound like your time and our time we are living in evil times and it looks like the the queen mother of evil is winning the 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 devil is ruling and reigning but there is a king about to be revealed And who gets notified first? Those who are in the house of the Lord. Those who are um, connected to the high priest of God. They are aware of what's going on and they are ready for action. Are you? ready for action because jesus is coming he might look hidden right now but he is about to be revealed in the seventh year praise god for that amen let's go on in the chapter because it just gets better okay so verse seven and the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the sabbath and guard the house of the lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king each with his weapons in his hand and whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in that's a euphemism. Going out and coming in is a euphemism, euphemism for making war. So he's seven years old, but they want him ready for war. And and they're by the way, he surrounds him with weapons. This is a picture of God's king. God's king is a warrior. The scripture talks about this in Exodus that God is a warrior himself. Jesus is a fighter in the spiritual realm. We are to be fight. We are to be fighters in the spiritual realm. We are to take up the armor of God and extinguish the flaming arrows of the devil and do damage in the kingdom in the spiritual realm with the word of God and the sword of the spirit. And praying in the spirit at all times, Ephesians chapter six language, Christianity is a war, it's a spiritual war. It's a fight for truth. It's a fight even in our culture for truth, for righteousness, for goodness. So anyway, we have that picture here in verses seven and eight. Now let's look at verse nine. It says this, the captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. So again, wickedness is reigning, but God's people are active God's people are activated even in the midst of wicked times. My question to you, and this is, we're getting right into tapping the truth before we even get into the tapping the truth, but I got to say it now because I'm thinking about it. Are you activated in the midst of wicked times to prepare the way of the Lord? What do I mean by that? Are you praying up? Are you seeking God? Are you involved in church? Are you involved in the movement of Jesus? Do you have a ministry uh, that you recognize God has given you, whether it be just witnessing to your neighbor, sharing your faith with people in your family, uh, loving people in genuine uh, acts of service? Maybe you serve at a a hospital, at a halfway house, at a, uh, I don't know, a food pantry, whatever. Are you activated? for the kingdom's purposes in the war that we are in? Are you praying with church family? Are you seeking God? Are you fasting? These are things that we need to do to stay active as we await the dawning of the king who is to come. So verse 10, it says this, and the priest gave to the captains the spears, the shields that had been King David's. Oh, my friends. Please don't miss this little notation. The priest, the high priest gave to the people who were activated the shields and the spears that had been King David's. King King David was an expert warrior, an expert fighter, and they get his weapons. Do you know what that means for us as Christians? We have the weapons of the Lord. You know that breastplate of righteousness that we have? You know what that is? That's the Lord's breastplate because Isaiah talks about it. He has a breastplate of righteousness and he gives it to us in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we have the sword of the spirit. That is, his, that is his word. We have the shield of faith. That is a gift of faith from God given to us by Jesus Christ. Uh, we have the gospel of peace shot on our feet. Okay? We have the belt of truth. It's all his truth. We have the helmet of salvation. It is his salvation, not ours. We have the weapons that God has given us. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians uh, 10? He says, our weapons are mighty through God. Our weapons are mighty through God. We, we can take captive every thought and, and make it obedient to Christ. We can tear down the devil's kingdom. We can win the, the battle for our family. We can fight with victory in the spiritual realm because we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Remind yourself of that, friend, because you do have weapons. They are your true and better King David's weapons. They are the weapons of war that cast out the devil from your life. Okay? Okay. I told you the story is good. It is so good. And I don't understand why, not more, why, pe- why Why preachers don't preach this passage more. Verse 11. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hands, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, and around the altar in the house on the behalf of the king. Then the king brought out the king's son and put a crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they dropped, clapped their hands and said, long live the king. Now look at what happens here. They put him on a throne and they give him the the, the text of the Bible. The reason why that is important is because that was the prescription of God back in Deuteronomy 17 concerning the king. Let's go over there and remember this passage from Deuteronomy 17. We have referred to it several times in our Kings of Compromise study because you will compromise kings if you don't have the word of God in you. Uh, He is supposed to, verse 18 in Deuteronomy 17, shall write for himself a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be to him and shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all his words of the law and these statutes and doing them. So how do you reform the nation? You, get, you reform the nation by giving him a copy of the law. You give him the Bible. That's exactly what they do here with uh, Joash. They, it says that they gave him the testimony. That is another word for the Torah. And then look at how people clap their hands and sing. The reason why I bring that up is because when righteousness reigns, more people will rejoice than lament. I know that this world tries to convince you, and I know it does me too, that you are the minority if you believe for righteousness. You are not. You are the majority. And when righteousness reigns, the people who are silent now will rejoice then. There are far more people who believe that what Scripture reveals is true. They know it. But their spirit bears witness. There are very few. It's a minority of people who recognize uh, who who celebrate evil and love it doesn't mean that everybody that loves righteousness is saved. It just, that they, it just means that they know that that is, that is the way that we should live. So anyway, don't let this world convince you that you're in the minority. You are not. Verse 13, when Athaliah, this is the queen mother again, heard the noise of the guard and the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried treason, treason. Okay, look at Athaliah's cry, treason, treason. It's not her kingdom, but she thinks it's her kingdom. This de- this world is not the devil's kingdom, but he thinks it's his kingdom. Um he is not in charge. And this is what happens with Christians all the time. We think that we need to go with the flow, so as not to kick up dust and not to offend people. So we will go with, along with wickedness because we have that voice treason treason from Queen Athaliah in the spiritual realm in our heads, but we need to stand with truth. With the Lord, stand with him in the temple, with the trumpeters and the captains, and stand for righteousness, and let the attacks and the accusations of treason come our way because we know that the true king is really reigning. Uh, This is all beautiful uh, pictures of, of our spiritual reality in Christ Jesus. Let's go on to verse 15 of chapter 11. It says this Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army bring her out between the ranks and put her to death with the sword. Uh, Sorry, and put to death with the sword. Anyone who follows her for the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house and there she was put to death. Uh, This is all uh, incredible. We see the end of Athaliah as, as brazenly as she reigned and ruled for six years. Her death is instant. It is quick. It is decisive. And there is peace and righteousness back in the land. All of that happens all of that takes place because six years ago, one woman decided to risk her life and hide one child. Anybody wants to tell me that the Bible is anti-woman? Hasn't read the Bible. This is a heroic woman, Jehosheba and her husband, Jehoiada, working together to, to uh, keep and hide the, the, the chosen king for the right time. In which he will bring salvation to the nation. What a picture of who we are as the bride of Christ today. Oh, friends, this should stir your heart. It should encourage your calling in Christ Jesus. Chapter, I'm sorry, verse 17. And Jehoiada made a covenant. Okay, covenant time. This is important. Whenever Bible says covenant, uh, pay attention. So he made a covenant between who? He made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. Three people are involved: the Lord, the king, the people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars, his image, they broke in pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priest uh, posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. So there is great revival. There is great restoration of uh, spiritual life to the community. But there is a covenant made, and I cannot stress this enough because it is a picture for you and I of how we have to treat the Lord's chosen instruments and how we have to treat the Lord and how we have to treat each other. He makes a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they, the people, should be the Lord's people. This is a very important passage. It means that the people must understand that um, they're the Lord's. They are not the king's, okay? We belong to the Lord. We do not belong to our pastor's. We do not belong to our spiritual leaders. They are given by the Lord to oversee our souls. We should listen to them. We should honor them. We should obey what they teach us from the word, but we don't belong to them. We belong to the Lord. Let there be a covenant in every church that the pastor's job is to point through himself to the true shepherd Jesus Christ. Let the people of God understand that they are his people, not the pastor's people. Too many too many Christians, too many churches are star-driven, celebrity pastor led. We need to get the people in touch with the Lord. My job as a pastor is to connect you to Jesus. That is it. It is not about me, it is not about this channel even, it is not about my church, it is not my it is not about my my being well known. It is about you as a child of the most high God knowing your Lord and being in faithful covenant with him. You are his people by the way the king is also the lord's people he is also part of his possession and and that is an important contextual uh insight there in the text then you see the the revival they break down they tear down the the house of Baal so you have this incredible potential here to kill the priest that you have this incredible potential for a nationwide reunification to come back to God and Joash is set up for this I mean he really is uh, by the way, Jehoshaphat's name means God swears. So it's kind of inter- interesting that the woman who hid Joash for six years, her name, God swears, means that God's going to swear. He's going to make a covenant with the people to say, I'm going to take possession of you. And I'm going to fulfill and protect my covenant with David to make sure that there is a king on the throne uh, from his line. Amen. God's promises always come true. Okay, now let's move on to verse 19. It says this, and he took the captains, the charites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought to the king They brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house, and he took his seat on the throne of the king. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with a sword at the king's house. What do we see in our cities right now? What do we see? We see violence. We see murder. We see riots. We see protests that are often destructive and hurtful. We see uh, mass shootings on a regular basis. Our streets are not quiet. Our cities are not quiet. Why? They cannot be quiet when Queen Athaliah is ruling and reigning. But here's the thing. If we, as Christians, quietly keep the Lord's commandments, quietly hide the Lord in our hearts, not hide them from people, but hide them in our hearts, meaning meaning set them apart as Lord in, in your heart. Eventually, the quietness that is in us will infect the cities where we live. It takes time. But as I said in the beginning, yes, God Opens the graves. Yes, God defeats Goliath. Yes, God delivers from the lion's den. Yes, God does the great big headline deliverances. But most of the time, God is at work quietly among people who are steadfast in faith and, and do righteously and, and live faithfully under or through the midst of evil times. That is chapter 11. Let's move to chapter 12 because now we're going to look at the reign of Joash, which starts great has some compromises and ends very poorly. (laughs) It's called the kings of compromise for a reason. And I wish we could end on a high note with this guy because he's got such a great potential, right? This is the hidden king who comes to the throne. This is Camelot, right? This is, you know, this is Lion King stuff, but it doesn't go well in the end. And again, it's reminding us that we are, well, Israel at this time Needs a better king than Joash. They need a better king than Jehoshaphat. They need a better king than David and Solomon. And that is what the text is continually asking us to see in 2 Kings. So, verse 1 of chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, now he's reigning in this northern uh, nation of Israel, Jehoash, that's an alternate name for uh, Joash. So, just so you know, from now on, the biblical text will say Jehoash, it's just an alternate spelling of the name Joash. I might say Joash, I might say Jehoash, but to the same name. Okay, he begins to reign and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. 40 years is also a very uh, significant number. Uh, Solomon reigned for 40 years, David reigned for 40 years, and I believe Saul reigned for 40 years. Those are good kings by and large. I mean, Saul ended poorly, Saul ended poorly, you know, but nonetheless, if you get 40 years, you're a pretty good king. His mother's name was Zibia of Beersheba, and Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada, now this is important. Remember the guy who was the, the husband of the, his caretaking uh, nurse and, or, or watch watchwoman, if you would? That's Jehoiada, the priest, her husband. He instructs the king. The priest instructs the king. This is very counterintuitive to how the ancient world worked. In the ancient world, the priests were instructed by the king. But in Israel, the priest instructed the king. The king was instructed by the priest. They were accountable to what the priest taught. This is what set Israel aside. They didn't follow the impetuous, impulsive ideologies of a child king. They followed the written word, and they instructed their child kings in the written word. It's what set Israel apart throughout ancient history. Now, verse 3 is the bad news. And this is the seeds of failure in Jehoash's or Joash's life. Nevertheless, the high places were what? Not taken away. The people continue to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. That's a sad commentary on what becomes of Joash's life. Let's watch how this unfolds though. Verse four, Joash or Jehoash said to the priests, all the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of persons and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring to the house of the Lord. Let the priest take each from his donor and let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. What does he do first? uh, Joash was hidden and spared from murder and he was secured and then raised up to the throne and he is instructed in the word and his instruction in the word. Now think about this. His instruction in the word does what? It produces in him a love for the house of the Lord. That is his first priority. We're gonna clean this house up. We're gonna repair it. We're gonna make it better. Uh, the Assyrians the had invaded, the, Isra- the, the nation of Israel had invaded, uh, you know, bad times. And. This is how the word of the Lord should have an effect on your life. The more you hear the word of the Lord, the more you should love the house of the Lord. It should burn in you a desire to be in the house of the Lord, to be with God's people, to learn his instruction. And that is what Joash's, Joash models for us here. He loves the house of the Lord, and he calls on them to collect three different kinds of offerings, tithes, that's the money collected in the census, the pledges of the people that they received from personal vows, and then free will offerings, whatever people wanted to give randomly to the Lord. So he says, gather that money, let's start repairing the house of the Lord. But look what happens in verse six. But by the 23rd year of the king, King Jehoash, the priests had made no repairs on the house. Therefore, King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada, the priest, and the other priest and said to them, why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors, but hand it over to that repair of the house for the repair of the house. So the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. This is important. 23 years go by. Right. He's seven years old. He's taught. He's probably taught maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years. Maybe he's 15 or so when he starts thinking about these things. And then it's like over a decade goes and all the priests are doing right now is taking the money and, and living high off the hog on the money. They're not doing what the priest should do. And this is a picture not just for pastors, this is a picture for every Christian, because every Christian, according to the new covenant, is a, is a priest of God. We are a royal priesthood, second, uh, 1 Peter 2.9 says. Are you taking the money that God gives you and only spending it on yourself? Or are you taking the money that God gives you and bringing it to the house of the Lord that the house of the Lord might be beautiful? Whether that be in works of service or in tithes and offerings, free will offerings, uh, making sure that God comes first financially in your life is a requirement if you're going to be a priest in the house of the Lord. But so often, as soon as the Lord brings peace to our lives or peace to our culture, Christians get complacent and they don't bring the tithe. They don't bring their best to God's house. They, they let God's house live in disrepair. They let the church look ugly. This is why the church looks ugly in many communities. It's the, it's the most broken down building in the town because people don't care for the house of the Lord. They're complacent. Well, Jehoash calls him to account and says no more. Don't just spend on yourself, not anymore. You're going to bring that money to the house of of God that we might repair the temple. Verse nine, then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. Now that's the altar of sacrifice. So here's the picture. You sacrifice your animal, you sacrifice your bull, your oxen, your camel. And then right there to the right, you see there's a hole where you're supposed to drop some money in because that sacrifice has to be paid for. That sacrifice costs. To to be able to make that sacrifice costs money. A lot of people don't get this about the church. The church, if you want the building, it's going to cost money. If you want to have a church, it's going to cost money. You're going to have to have uh, a pastor who's uh, paid to preach and teach. You're going to have to have a staff that runs it. You're going to have to have a building, facility, electricity, heat, air conditioning. These are not free. Okay. The government does not have a secret deal with churches that they get all this stuff for free. Churches have to pay for that. Now you have a choice. You can say, well, I don't really think that the church needs to have a building. Okay. Well, then we're meeting at your house. We're meeting at your house on Sunday, every Sunday, uh, until further notice, right? No, it's good for a community of people to fund a church building so that they can have a place to worship on Sunday. And then that that place can be a place to welcome new people, to preach the gospel, to see people get saved. When you bring your tithes and offerings to the house of the Lord, that's what you're paying for. You're paying to make that happen in your community. And uh, this is what Jehoiada decides to do. He's like, remember that it costs somebody money to make sure that you have an opportunity to receive the sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, that doesn't mean that our tithes pay for God's sacrifice. No, our tithes pay so that somebody else can hear of the final sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That's the picture here that we have here in, in verse nine. So it says this, and the priest guarded it, who, I'm sorry, and the priest who guarded the threshold put it Put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, and whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up, and they begged, bagged—sorry, they bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Verse eleven. Then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they put and they paid it out of the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord. And to the masons and the stone cutters, as well as to buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord and for any outlay for the repairs of the house. But there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of gold or of silver from the money that was brought into the temple or into the house of the Lord. For that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house of the Lord with it. OK, so the picture here that we see is they kind of itemize, don't they? They itemize all the things that need to be paid for. And sometimes we don't get this. But as Christians, we need to realize that it costs money to have a church. It costs money to make worship happen. So timber, uh, stone, masons, stone cutters, these things need to be paid for. Uh, They didn't have enough money, it looks like, to do what Solomon did. Remember, Solomon made every instrument of gold. Well, you can say that that was opulence. Maybe that was their belief, too. That's too too opulent. We're not going to do that. We're going to have humble vessels in the house of the Lord. Maybe they learned a lesson from Solomon's opulence and say we're going to go low. low we're going to, we're going, to, going to go low end. We're going to go to Walmart. We're not going to go to Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> that's what we're doing here. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Whatever the case, it's just an itemized list that it costs money to make worship happen in your local community. Verse fifteen, and they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out to the workmen, for they dealt honestly. That's what the church needs. Too often the church is careless with the money that comes in. In my church, personally anybody can look at the books at any time they are wide open all the time we have a third party audit every single year Um, we have to make sure that we are above board i personally do not have access to accounts i personally do not have uh uh debit cards to the uh, to the checking account i personally make sure that I am out of that as the lead pastor of my church. Everything else is dual control, two people on every situation. I used to work for the bank, so I understand the term dual control. Two people are signing off on everything that happens with the money in the church. I don't want that to be my role. I do not want that access or that temptation. And the other thing is that we have to remember is uh, every every heart of man can get swayed by money. So I'm out of that. And and I think that churches need to do a far better job of being careful with the money that the people bring to the house of the Lord. Verse 16, it says this, the money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priest. Moving on. Verse 17. At that time, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Now, Hazael, again, that is the guy that was raised up by Elisha to put to the sword anybody that Jehu didn't kill or that uh, Elisha didn't kill it says this. So when Hazael set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Jehoash king of Judah took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his father, the king of Judah had dedicated and his own sacred gifts and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent these to Hazael king of Syria. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. This is a sad moment. What do you see? You see that the very king that had rebuilt a temple and dedicated all the utensils and gifts to the house of the Lord for years in one day packs it up and ships it off to an enemy for protection. What a sad account of the end of Joash's reign. And it gets even sadder. Look at verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did are they not written in that book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of Milo on the way that goes down to Selah. It was Josachar, the son of Shimeath and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants who struck him down so that he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David and Amaziah, his son reigned in his place. That's the end of his reign. It ends poorly and uh, it is so sad. And I want to do something to make sure you get a clear view of what goes on here with this compromising king. Uh, And so we're going to go to the second Chronicles account of Joash's end. Let's look at, so we get some more detail from the scriptures on how his life or his reign came to an end. Verse 17 of 2 Chronicles 24 says this, now after the death of Jehoiada, the prince, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. So Jehoiada was his mentor, his tutor, the priest, the high priest. He dies and the princes of Judah, his sons come and pay homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. This is the kids. The, the, The king listens to the kids, not to the priest. There's always a problem when God's people listen to the kids and not to the priest, not to the pastor. So many cause people. They listen to their kids. They don't listen to the pastor. <laughs> well, I can go on about that. Anyway, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would pay no attention. Um, remember that these uh, go all the way back to the beginning of his reign, Jehoash. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And here was the, here was the seeds of his fall downfall. I already mentioned the high places were not taken away. This is verse two of chapter 12. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings in the high places. Do you know what this means? This means that you have a King in Jehoash who was a church building Christian. Okay. I know it was a Joe Jew and all that stuff, but I'm going to make a modern equivalence. A church building Christian is somebody who loves the church, loves the worship in the church, loves the preaching in the church, loves everything about the church, serves in the church, gets involved in the church. But when service is over and when they are outside of the church, they live like the world. They do not let their faith in the church affect their life outside of the church. And this is what happens. Eventually, eventually you raise up sons, you have children who lead your heart astray. And that's what we have here in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Let's look at how it goes down. It says this, then the spirit of God uh, clothed Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest and he stood above the people and said to them thus says God why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord he has forsaken you but they conspired against him and by command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada Zechariah's father had shown him but killed his son and when he was dying he said may the Lord see and avenge so the, he has got a witness here that, um, that he is going to be judged And what goes on, he rejects the guy who is going to warn him of his downfall. Verse 24, and this is the account of the war that happens as a result of his disobedience with Syria. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him Because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, and did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Uh, This is really just a sad account of a terrible end to a righteous, well, formerly righteous king. But a repeated reminder here that at this time, at least, the, the nation of Israel needs a true king, and that true king will be Christ. And that's what the Kings of Compromise study is all about. These kings cannot save. You might have a Jehoiada, a a Joash in your life, a Jehoshaphat in your life, a Solomon in your life, a David in your life, but they are not Jesus. And you've got to put your eyes on Jesus and not on the people or the powerful things of this world or even in the church. And so that is the text. Let's tap into truth. Okay, let's talk about what's going on. This is the big talk. This is the big theme of this talk, which is sometimes it's not the big moments in public that preserve God's people. Sometimes it's the unseen commitments and dutiful service to the Lord that does it. Um, Yeah, that's what I was saying. We're not talking about uh, tombs opened and jails broken open and all those kind of things. We're just talking about private unseen commitment. Wickedness seems to reign in America right now. Due diligence in your private faith, in your public witness in your faithfulness, in the private moments, in the regular unseen moments. I'm not saying be private in your faith. I'm saying just be steadfast where you are in the, you know, largely unseen area of the world that you live in. Now, the other thing that I want to bring out here is this, that yes, the kingdom of God has at times seemed to be on the verge of oblivion. Remember the promise to David was your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. This is 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your throne should be established forever. Were it not for the bravery of Jehosheba and Jehoiada and the priests who gave themselves to the defense of this king, the promise of God would have been null and void. But the private activity of these two people preserved the kingdom. It just reminds us that God's promises are trustworthy. What he promised David, even when it was down to one final descendant, what he promised David was brought to pass and uh, just to bring you here to Second Kings chapter eight, eighteen. Uh, this is just going back a couple of chapters. When Jehoram, king of Judah, walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, how, as Ahab had done, it was even then as the, the king of Judah was doing evil. Yet the Lord, verse nineteen, was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David's servants, since he promised to give him a lamp and to him and to his sons forever. God's promises are trustworthy. Uh, Philip Graham Ryken writes a powerful commentary on this text he says the salvation of the world seemed to hang by the slenderest of threads and yet that thread was part of the unbreakable cord of god's promise this is how it works now let me give you some personal some personal truth here number one we understand that christ is the king number two he is protected or was protected from evil violent evil as a child number three he was hidden for a time in nazareth for 30 years He was revealed at the right time. He preached for three years. He died on the cross and his enemies will be destroyed one day. He will be revealed as king. And when he is revealed, joy is coming for all of his people, just as it happened when Joash was hid for six years. So too, we live in the time between Christ's resurrection and Christ's return and there will be joy, but it will oftentimes look like evil is winning and dominating, but that is not the case, okay? Uh, Now in your own personal life, Jesus is the rightful king. He's got to be king in here. And yes, people will reject or ignore him in your life. But it is your job to preserve the message of Jesus in your life and in your witness so that he can be revealed. So that he can be revealed at the proper time through you. Amen. Last thing I want to share with you tapping into truth is simply this. You cannot love the Lord and not love his house. Right, that's what chapter 12 was about. Joash receives instruction in the word of the Lord and he loves the house and he repairs it. The house of the Lord is the church. The church are the people, yes, but the people need a place to gather. You've got to love the church. Some of you have got to start giving your tithes and offerings to the church. You've got to start honoring God first financially. And uh, then when that happens, don't make the mistake of Joash, which is let the house of the Lord that you're committed to translate into external witness for the Lord. Like what happens in church should move out of church. Uh, tear down those high places. Tear down those altars. Tear down those things in your life that are that are detrimental to your witness for Christ. That's the talk. Thanks for joining. I'm glad you guys were here. Support the channel if you would. Cash app Tim Hatch live or cash or timhatchlive.com/support. And uh, we will have a ten questions with Tim on the first of July first week, first Thursday of July. So check that out by sending your questions in. I could also use your help by liking, sharing, and subscribing. Uh, Liking the video, sharing the video on your social media, or subscribing to the channel. And then I hope to be back in a couple Tuesdays. The Tuesday after July 4th, I think it's July 11th, we will be back with the deep end. So big break, I'm on vacation. Pray for me that I return safely, but I also enjoy myself and return rested, ready to go for the cause of Christ. God bless you, have a great night. In Jesus' name.